So this morning, if you've got your notebooks ready and your Bible, brick and mortar Bibles, we call them, proper, listen, proper pages, I am going to do 10 life lessons from Genesis. It's exciting, isn't it? Very practical. 10 life lessons from Genesis. I'm not going to read the whole of Genesis because we'll be here till next Wednesday. So breathe about that one. I'm going to snip it through some of the stories in Genesis. But I want, us to make, I want to make this really practical um, and think about how the story of Genesis allows us to really think about our relationship with God and how we can just travel through life really, really well and just live a fruitful life. That's what God wants us to do, amen? He wants us to be fruitful. So we're going to go right to the beginning in Genesis 1, and we're going to go to verse 28 and just ponder there for a little bit, which is all extremely well-known, I'm sure, by many of us. It says, God blessed them and said to them, this is Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit and seed. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life, I give to you, this is talking to Adam and Eve, I give everything, green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he was made, and it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This, thus the heavens and the earth were completed over six days in their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on, on it he rested. And for all, all the work he had done, creating that he, and all the creation, sorry, that he had done. So right in the beginning of Genesis, it, obviously I haven't read the whole thing about creation, but it talks about how God created everything that we see. And he created the animals, he created the stars, he created the sea, everything, and he created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve. And he blessed what he had created, and he sat down and he rested, and he looked to what he'd created, and he was so pleased with it. This is his perfect thing that he wanted to do, was to create a space for us to be able to enjoy relationship with him, but enjoy the work of his hand. God is creative. He is incredible. And we know that scientists are still discovering galaxies, and it's beyond their comprehension. Even with the technology that we've got today, they cannot keep up with how the universe is evolving still and changing, and how God is still revealing that he's created God with new stars and planets that are being named all the time. He created everything that we see, and he created them for us to enjoy. But what we know, don't we, is that on the seventh day, God sat back and relaxed. And I don't think we're very good at that. <laughs> I'm not very good at that. To enjoy rest and to take time just to be rested from our busy lives is something that I believe God wants us to do. And we don't do it very, very well. But the idea of kind of resting and staying balanced is really, really important to God. He did it himself. And he created this day of the week just for us to just enjoy what we have and just to rest. And um, it used to be much more traditioned in it in church probably 30, 40 years ago that Sunday was that day of rest. And I think now it's got very busy and things have changed quite a lot. But I believe God created us to be people that enjoy life, work hard and play, but we need to find rest because it's how he created creation so that we could do the same thing. So that's lesson number one is get the balance right between work, rest, and play. And really, when we're, we're, we're resting and playing, that's really when God wants us to build relationships and spend time with our family and our friends and our church family. And it's just there's so much life that comes out of that. And I think sometimes we get to become, I mean, I'm certain in my life, workaholics, so we don't actually get the balance right. 
but God did it himself. So number one, stay balanced in your life. Number two, it's know that you have value. And God was already sharing that with us earlier. You know, if you look at the story of creation and everything that God made for Adam and Eve and for the, and for the human race, it is so intri- intrinsically amazing and just mind-blowing that you've got to kind of put human beings in the context of the beautiful trees, the moon, the stars, and everything else that we see. We don't often put human beings on the same level as that, but he created us the same way that he created a tree or he created an elephant or he created, you know, whatever, the stars. We, we actually need to see ourselves as a created being as magical and just mind-blowing as we might see creation in terms of natural stuff. And I think we often don't. If you think that God puts so much value and time into creating a perfect universe and then he breathed life into mankind, we have incredible value. And sometimes, often, we don't value ourselves and see ourselves as beautifully and perfectly created. I can't believe that God created all the universe and everything I see, and then he created me worthless. It doesn't balance. You can't, <laughs> you can't look at creation, and it's just mind-blowing, isn't it? If you just look, watch the seasons change, it just how everything works in perfect tune, and even how our earth just spins on a perfect angle to the sun, and we don't burn up. If you, you just, just little things in creation are just enough to go, wow. And then you think, well, God created me and loves me, and yet I will put myself down. I will say I'm not worth it. I will devalue myself. But God created me. If he can put value into the, into the universe that we see, then you have worth too. So we need to enjoy ourselves. We need to value who we are. We need to love who we are. We need to see ourselves created with all our flaws. And I've got, I've got like things around my waist that are not supposed to be there. I mean, what happened to that? Love handles have appeared. Thank you. <coughs> and I'm sure God didn't create Adam and Eve. I mean, Eve didn't have love handles. She was like slim, wasn't she beautiful? Um, but anyway, it's slightly, it's slightly jaded. However, it doesn't matter, does it? No. Okay, so number one, get the balance right. Work, rest, and play. Number two, know that you have value. And, you know, talk yourself up, not in a big-headed way, but it's really, really, not degrading, that's the wrong word. It's just, it's not, what's the word? To God, if we go, well, I'm, I'm rubbish, I'm worthless, I'm no good, God created you. You're saying something about your creator when you use that language over yourself, aren't you? And I've done it loads, beat myself up, you know, and we need to have a, have a spirit where we're walking around saying, God, have I done this right? And being quick to repent and that kind of thing. But not to condemn us and not to put ourselves down. God doesn't do that. He's like, come on, pick yourself up. Let's crack on. <laughs> we've, got a long, we've got years together, so we, we, we'll work it out eventually. <laughs> um, but it doesn't matter if we get things wrong and we mess up. But to then put ourselves down, we're not actually valuing the, the person who created us. Jesus actually sometimes believes more in us than we believe in ourselves. Well, I think he often believes more in us than we believe in ourselves. So number two, know your value. Okay, so in the Garden of Eden, as you may know the story, Adam and Eve um, are enjoying this beautiful creation of Eden and they walk with God every day and it's beautiful. And then this serpent comes along, who we know is the devil. And there must be a reason I hate snakes. Who likes snakes in here? There's something wrong with you. Um, there is a, isn't there a reason why snakes are the most horrible thing? I don't think it's, I don't think it's the reason. Jack, 
Josh has got a snake and he's left the room, so don't tell him I said this. But I hate them. Absolutely cannot stand. I can't go near them. I can't see them in the picture. These, these lot will put them on the screen just to make me... Just, like, you know the ones that eat a deer with their whole, in one go? I don't need to watch that. There's something wrong with that. And uh, snakes are just horrible to me. But I think it's because it's the devil. And that's why I don't like them. Yeah, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go with that. No, we're not buying snake. We've lost our guinea pig, people. And we have no more pets in our house, but we will not be replacing it with a snake. And then Naomi would like us to have a snake, but she loves snakes. Uh, anyway, so in the garden, <laughs> digressing. Um, I have got notes here. I'm not trying to wing it, I promise. Um, in the garden, Adam and Eve obviously are enjoying the presence of God. And then this serpent comes along and tempts Eve to eat this apple from the tree of fruit of good and knowledge. Um, of knowledge and wisdom and uh, Adam goes along with it and they both disobey God he said that's the one thing you can't do and when they disobeyed God they became captive to the snake to Satan at that point they disobeyed him um, and if you go through the story it makes that really clear and what, G what God says to them is basically they surrendered their authority over the earth so when the scripture we started with was listing the fact that God created everything and then he gave mankind authority over it and said it's for you to enjoy. But they actually lost their authority when they surrendered to, surrendered to Satan and they did what Satan said rather than what God said. So we have to live in obedience to God and his word. And if he says no to something, even if we don't understand why, they didn't know why they couldn't eat the apple. But God said, you don't need to know that, <laughs> so don't do it. Um, and they did. Got curious. They thought, oh, God doesn't mean it. Oh, you know, oh, you know, the devil's in their ear having a go. And they ate the apple and disobeyed God. And it's interesting. They go from this place of beautiful intimacy and innocence with God to then being very scared of him when he comes into the garden. They're like frightened of him. They weren't frightened of him before. And they realized that they were naked. They hadn't realized that before. And they didn't want to see God. They were hiding that's what the devil will do. When you disobey God, you'll start feeling uncomfortable. And because you lose your authority over the enemy when you stop obeying God. And they kind of walked away, did what they wanted to do in their own strength and their own agenda, if you like. Didn't want to do what God said, even though he obviously had... And it, God doesn't have to tell us why. <laughs> I don't know if you've worked that out yet. <laughs> but actually, he doesn't have to answer to me and you. <laughs> um, if he said no, and even if we don't understand the no, then we need to do the no. Um, it will get revealed in time because God's good like that. But it's okay if um, he says no and you, okay, God, I'm just not going to go in there. Um, but anyway, they lost their authority. So being obedient, gone is point number four. No, number three. I don't know what I'm on. Uh, number four, three. Uh, being obedient, God, is really, really important because we can actually lose our authority that we have in God. And he never stops loving us, but he will pull, it, pull his hand away from us at times if we're not going to listen. And we have to learn our lesson. Adam and Eve had to learn a lesson that it's better to be with God and be obedient than to do your own thing and it go horribly wrong. <laughs> they revealed, they answered that they were naked. So my next point is Satan has no power over you unless you give it to him. So Adam was clothed in God's glory before he took the apple. Then when he sinned, if you like, and disobeyed God, he then realized he was naked and he hid from God. So he was in a position of glory and covering and protection at one point, and then he chose to disobey, and it all fell apart. But what's incredible about our God is he sent Jesus. And Jesus is the second Adam. And when he died on the cross, 
then he covered and protected mankind and brought them back into relationship with God. So Adam lost his covering and protection, but then Jesus came and he covers and protects us. When we make a relationship with God, then we are covered and protected by Jesus. So Adam, if you like, got his covering and protection back. When God saw what the devil did to Adam and Eve and the lie, he responded really harshly to the devil and he said to him, I will bruise your head. He, he cast out the devil. He gave him his doom at that point. And we know that when Jesus died on the cross, he went into hell and he defeated the power of the enemy. The devil was crushed at that point when God saw the lie that Satan had given them in the garden. He said, you're forever going to have your, bru- your head bruised. In other words, what he was saying is, devil, you are always going to be defeated. You will always be defeated. And Jesus took the authority off the devil and he gave it to every believer to be able to trample on the same serpents through the cross. We don't have any strength of our own, but if we accept Jesus into our life, we have the same right and we have the same authority. But we need to be careful what's being whispered into our, into our ear and what we're saying yes and no to and asking God, actually, is this what you want for me? I mean, even the basic stuff, where you work, the job that you do, Because you can relinquish your authority that Jesus has given you by being disobedient. You can gain your authority by walking in obedience. But you need to know that Satan has no power over you unless you give it to him. So you don't have to walk in disbelief or depressed or be anxious or struggling with stuff. If you are, then look at what your obedience surrender looks like. You need to sometimes go through every part of your life and say, God, have I said yes to you in every area? Are you Lord of it or... Have I tried to be Lord of it? I promise you in seconds, you'll find in minutes, things will change. You'll get phone calls. Things will shift in your circumstances as soon as you say, whatever you want from me, God, I'm going to do it. There's such power in. So Adam and Eve lost their authority. Jesus brought it back on the cross. And the devil is forever defeated. We never need to be scared of him. Never need to worry about him. But he's real. There is an enemy of our souls. Um, but he's defeated and he's been trampled. His head is bruised and he is under our feet. We were praying that this morning, weren't you, Tanya? You were praying that this morning in engine room. So Jesus died for us and redeemed us. Devil is defeated and doomed. I am victorious through Jesus Christ as long as I walk in obedience. Okay, we, I don't know if we talk enough about obedience, but actually it's incredibly important that we're doing what God asks us to do. The other thing that I, so this is number four, that's amazing about the story of creation is that you think the Holy Spirit was behind the whole thing. So the Holy Spirit was, so God said, let there be stars or sun or light. And then the Holy Spirit went out and hovered. He was hovering over the earth, the Bible says, and he, just, it, he made it happen. The Holy Spirit does that all the time. He's a creative spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of believers. So when you're born again, when you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and changes you from the inside out. And I think sometimes we forget that we are called to be incredibly creative people because the Holy Spirit is creative. He created everything you see. Jesus spoke, let there be a tree. He also spoke, let there be an aardvark. I'm not sure what that was about. It's an aardvark. Do we have aardvarks anymore? We do have aardvarks. Okay. Let's think of another funny animal. Um, what other animals do you look at on, on like Blue Planet and you go, what is that? What's that fish that's got like, it goes and its mouth goes all the way along in like a ruler? It's a shark, isn't it, Ian, if Ian would know? What's that thing? That's not pretty. Anyway, uh, so God said that there'd be a hammer shark, and the Holy Spirit was hovering, and he made the hammer. Anyway, so cool. So if you think about the same spirit created 
everything that we see, and then lives inside of us, how creative should we be as people? But also, shouldn't God be always doing something fresh and new inside of us? That's who he is. God is a creative spirit creating the most beautiful things. That means that we should be not only being changed, but I think we need to tap into what the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of us, how he wants to use us. And I don't think we always ask the question, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? How do you want to use me? What have you put inside of me? I think God wants to do fresh things in us all the time, wants to use, you know, use our talent or birth something in us that's going to bless somebody else because he's creative and he creates incredible things and he's inside of us. And how much amazing would your life be if it was God, Holy Spirit was constantly moving to do new things inside of you and you were just getting fresh things from God all the time? God isn't a stale kind of, he's done with you. You got saved like 20 years ago and he doesn't want to have anything to do with you anymore. You just go into heaven and that's the end of it. It should be like a, a creative thing of constant things happening inside of you. So that's next. What number are we on, Annie? I don't know. That was four, five. I don't know. Maths, maths. Danielle, not very good at maths, but I'm going to hopefully get to 10. Okay, well, we'll keep going. Okay, so next one. Okay, have a right heart. Is that number five? Let's go for that. Okay. It's not on my notes, so anything could happen. Right, so we're going to go to Genesis 6, 5 to 8. So Genesis 6, verse 5 to 8. So this is all after creation. It says, The Lord saw how great man's wicked wickedness on the earth was, and that every inclination on the thoughts of the heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I'm going to wipe mankind out who I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatives, sorry, creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Noah was a righteous man and blameless among the people of his time and he walked with God, so his heart was right. And he had three sons. We know that Noah goes on to build the ark and then helps to start the universe again as this flood comes and wipes all, all the bad stuff away in Noah. God looked at everything he's created, and he was grieved. He was sad because of what was going on in people's hearts. What goes on in our heart matters to God. It can be grieved by the intention or the thoughts in our heart. A right heart is so, so important. And God blessed and used Noah because his heart was different to the rest of mankind. So we can displease God with what's going on in our heart. And God describes that with evil intentions. And even if we're not thinking, we're not, not out to hurt anybody, but just our heart condition is so, so important. Um, and we mustn't have a bad attitude or stinking thinking. God talks about us having pure hearts. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the spring of life. Our heart is a reflection for what's going on inside of us our thinking, and what's going on deep inside of us. So God actually was searching the earth, and he was trying to look for people. He looks for people whose hearts are good, whose hearts are pure, and whose hearts are towards him. And um, if, our heart, if our intentions inside of us are just unforgiveness or, you know, bitterness or our thinking is wrong, not that God won't love us any, obviously won't love us any less, but it's difficult for him to use it. He tends to move over people whose hearts are tender and whose hearts are right and it's up to us to get the garbage out what we put in in through our ears and our eyes will hit our heart and it will sink in there so we either need to be careful what we're watching and listening to or we need to be constantly checking what's in our heart because if it's a if it's a evil intentional poor motives or unforgiveness it we will be bound by that 
And God said it will grieve him. He wants us to have tender hearts so he can use us. Amen? God is a God of hearts. It does matter what's going on inside of us. And our heart is influenced by what we see. That's why the word of God needs to be what we're chewing over because this will fill your heart and keep it pure. What's, what the world is offering won't. So we have to get the balance right. We be careful what we see. So God does hover. And that's not just for creation. He hovers today looking for people whose hearts are right towards him. Was that number five? That's five. I might have to make one up, Steve. Got a joke ready? We're good at jokes. Get a joke ready in a minute, just in case we're struggling. Okay, next one. Number six, let God lead. So we're going to go to Genesis 13. Sorry, these aren't on the screen, but it was literally last minute. You still with me? Okay, don't want to run out. <laughs> don't want to run out of the room. Okay, so Genesis 13, uh, 14 to 18 says, The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted for him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see is I'm going to give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, and so that if anyone can count, could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mama, Abraham, sorry, Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. So further on in this story, when we get to chapter 13, we see that God, sep- God uh, separates Abraham. He's not called Abraham yet. Abraham and Lot. They have this falling out which must have been incredibly sad for Abraham because they were very, very close. They have an argument. And actually, God calls Abraham to move miles away to an unknown territory that he didn't know where he was going. It was going to be, you know, a complete unknown. And calls him to move um, and says he will bless him when he gets there. And he's going to give him all the land when he moves. Um, And for Abraham, that was like moving his entire household, his and children, everything, all of his sheep, everything that he had, he would have to move the whole lot to a land he didn't even know whether it was barren, whether it would provide for them or anything, but he had to trust God. Um, and Abraham moved. He left the comfort of where he knew, and he left the comfort of the land that he was on, and just followed God, even though he didn't know where, where he was going or what it would look like. And God didn't show him the steps are coming up four or five times. He just literally said, go from here to Hebron. And that's all I'm going to tell you. Nothing else. It's like, oh, that's scary, isn't it, when God does that? He just literally says, do this. And you're like, uh, more details, please. Can I have a five-page account of what it's going to look like? I'd like to know step five, six, and seven, and what will happen in three months. But God said he would bless obedience. So Abraham basically picked up everything, trusted God, not knowing where he was going, but knowing that God would lead him. And God moved him and blessed him mightily. We know, obviously, of all the generations that are going to come from Abraham. But he had to obey God when he didn't have the full picture. And God doesn't give us step two, three, and four. He just gives us step one, go. <laughs> do this or don't do this. Um, but the reward of obedience, I said earlier, is the blessing. And he, he moved into abundance, and God gave him much more than he had before. It's a bit of a theme, isn't there, in Genesis about listening to God and being obedient and doing what he's asking you to do. God doesn't want, this is what I put in my notes, God doesn't want me to argue about the move, but just to move in faith, even if I don't understand it. <laughs> How many of us are here? Like, well, I'm not sure God, you got that right. Yeah, you had a bad day today. Do you want to come back to me next week and we'll have a chat and see whether you want to change your mind? No, move. So this might not be a physically actually about moving, But in any area of our life, if God's asking us to do something, then just do it. 
I know that's something, you know, we, in every area of our life, there can be anything in terms of relationships. I know with people like with tithing, if that's a big step for some people, and then God's saying, I want you to tithe, and you're like, I can't do it. And if, if I will do it, but I want you to tell me how, you're gonna, how I'm going to pay this bill and how I'm going to pay this bill, and can you tell me how you're going to provide for that? And I want to know what my income is, and God's like, no. <laughs> step one, be obedient to me. Give me 10% and let me do the rest because the, the blessing is in the 90s and the other side. But you've got to do the, the thing first. God doesn't change his character and he won't adjust how he works because we don't like it. He doesn't treat people differently. I've worked this out for knowing a lot of Christians over my life. He doesn't have different rules where he's like, well, you, I mean, he's so loving, but he still has the same way of working. Come on, listen to what I'm saying and trust me and I'll prove it to you, but you've got to step first. He doesn't then say, well, for some people, I'll give you all the answers and, and then some people over here, you've got a bit more faith so you don't need to know as much. He often doesn't, he doesn't work like that. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has the same character. But what he will do is the tiniest step of obedience, he will honor it and he'll just blow your mind with what he's done. Because he sees how hard it can be to go from here. I'm not tithing or I'm not doing whatever. And oh, that to some people is too much. And he's like, I love that. You made one step for me. Now let me bless you. And just one step. That's all I'm asking. Don't have to, be, don't have to do this because you're not there yet. But let's just do one step. And I will love you and shower you with blessing because I can see what's in your heart. And we do it tentatively sometimes, and we do it scared. <laughs> but it's the little step is enough. It's the act of obedience he's interested in because it's a heart saying, God, I trust you, and I love you, and, it, and I will say yes to you because you died for me. So if you ask me to do something that I don't like, then I know that you love me more than my comfort, <laughs> and you're worth it because you gave everything to me. And so if you're asking me to tithe, because I don't do that yet, or you're asking me to be a blessing to somebody or you're asking me to go on team or you're asking me to change my job or you're asking me to commit a bit more I'm going to do this because you gave your life for me and you at least deserve one step from me and then when you do that and you see what God does you go oh I'm going to go a bit bigger <laughs> wow and you and you make the step little steps of faith it's mustard seed God talks about doesn't it what do you think a mustard seed is it's like this isn't it that's a mustard seed it's tiny that's it's all I'm asking for, and then see what I can do. So throughout Genesis, this story is about obedience. And I've, God's been talking to me a lot about this stuff, that how much of this is all connected in the Bible, that you can't have obedience in one part of your heart or one part of your life and not in others. So God, you can have this area, but you can't have this area. And when you think about how Adam and Eve lost their protection from being disobedient, what is it like for us if we walk in areas of obedience in some parts of our life and other areas are like, God, I'm not going to do that. You want me to forgive that? But no, I'm not doing that. So I will, I, will, I will come to church and I'll go on team and I'll help out, but I'm not going to forgive so-and-so who hurt me, even though you've told me. Or I'm not going to tithe because I don't want to do that yet. I don't really want, I'm not comfortable doing that. How much of God's protection do we lose and how much authority in God do we lose when we won't, be obedient in every area that the Bible says that we need to be obedient in. We don't get to be just doing bits of it. I like that bit of scripture, so I'll do that one. <laughs> but, you know, 
I was talking to people about this week, this idea that some people want Jesus as their saviour. They don't want him as their Lord. I want to be saved and go to heaven, but I don't want him to tell me what to do. I'm not, I'm not doing that. So he can, I'll, I'll go to, you know what I mean? I, I want to I be saved, but I don't want him to be Lord. But he didn't die to be, just be your saviour. He died to be your saviour and your Lord. Because he's the only one that can bring you into life and bless you and make you whole and provide you with an abundant life. That's what Jesus said. But the abundant life, which Adam and Eve had in the garden, was in obeying what God told them not to touch and what to do. He said, you can have all of this, but don't do that. So they didn't do that. They picked and choose what they wanted to do, and they lost their authority. If we pick and choose which bits of this we want to do, then we can't, you know, we can't expect God in every of us to protect us and fully cover us if we're not obedient to everything he's asking us to do. And as I said before, he knows it's hard for us to do stuff and we struggle. He's like, baby step, come on. That's all I'm asking. Just do something. Just do it and see what I'll do. Okay, so Lot and Abraham. So this is number seven. Am I right? Or am I better? X, six. Well, you and Annie don't agree, so we're in trouble. Annie's going for seven. You're going for six. You get two jokes ready because we're out of sync, Steve. Okay, so... <laughs> Lot and Abraham parted in this story. They went their separate ways after a big argument. And this is really, uh, this next point is to not get angry or discouraged when people disappoint you. You just, <laughs> we have to learn that people are going to just do that regularly, <laughs> really regularly. And Abraham had to learn to just move on in God, go where God was telling him and not carry it in his heart, the fact that him and Lot had fallen out. So, he looked, what Abraham did is he started looking to God's goodness and to the blessing that God had for him. He wasn't being caught up with the difficulty that him and Lot had had and he moved on from it. They parted really well and then he just moved on. We have two options when people disappoint us. We can give up and quit and get angry about it or we can just keep going and just keep our eyes on Jesus and keep moving forward. And that's what Abraham did and he was brought into abundance. If we don't do that and we hold on to what people are doing that's upsetting us, we'll get discouraged, we'll get hopeless, we'll, we'll, we'll get, it'll go into misery, and, and bitterness kind of full, fills your heart. Um, and it's a really dangerous place to live in disappointment. People can let us down, and we let Jesus down all the time. Um, God must be so disappointed with mankind sometimes and just think, oh my goodness, what are you guys like? But he's just so loving and he's so patient and faithful and we just have to be the same with people I know that's a really hard thing to do and that's where we just rely on the Holy Spirit to just say actually God this person has hurt me or let me down but I'm going to choose to focus on you I forgive them you just bless them bless me and we'll, I'm moving on it's, it needs to be such a quick response in our hearts when people let us down because it will be a daily basis or weekly basis that somebody will say something to upset us or not do what we've asked them to do if you've got children who don't like doing washing up and um Yeah. Disappointed on a regular basis. My husband is, I've been married a long time. He still can't cook tea. And I've learned to grow up, move on from that. And we're okay. But I cook tea every night of the week. And that's okay. I was disappointed at one stage that he wouldn't learn to cook. But we're fine because he's very good at, with the, with the uh, lawnmower and a screwdriver, which I can't do. So there we go. We've got balance in our household. Anyway, moving on. Okay. <laughs> So, next one, number eight, nearly there. Give God time. Be patient with God. Give God time to work stuff out. 
Um, Abraham had to learn to be patient with God because God said he was going to give him children and uh, nothing happened. In fact, Sarah, or Sarai, whatever her name was, she laughed, didn't she, at the idea in their 90s of having children. But God made this promise and then nothing happened for years. And they had to patiently wait for God's timing. And it's very easy to get frustrated. In fact, we'll go into a minute and see what Abraham does um, because he gets frustrated and bored with waiting, I think, for God. But sometimes we just have to learn to be um, patient. Um, and it's like sitting in a waiting room, isn't it? Waiting for some news or something. It's not easy. Or when you're pregnant. Not too beautiful pre- pregnant ladies in the room. They can tell us what this is like. Pregnant for nine months, waiting for this baby to arrive. And it takes nine months, doesn't it, for that seed to grow. Your body changes. It's exciting. Miriam was talking about all her pains and aches. Really loving it at the moment. It's beautiful, beautiful. Uh, no, that's <laughs> um, but you have to let that thing grow. And in God, we have to let things grow. And God often asks us to wait because he's actually growing something. People often think a, a quiet time where God's not speaking or, or where we're, nothing seems to be happening. People think that that's a dead time. God, you're not doing anything. The Bible says he never slumbers or sleeps. He's, he's active 24-7. So when we can't see anything, we think God's forgotten or nothing's happening. He's growing things in us. Like a mum who's waiting for nine months, it's all you might, you know, you can occasionally obviously feel it moving and you get a bigger bump eventually. But sometimes you can feel that nothing is quite happening and it seems a slow process. But actually, God is always working on the inside of us. He's working on a spiritual realm that we can't often see. And so we get frustrated because we don't actually see physically things happening, whether that's we're waiting just for God to change a circumstance, we're praying for people in our family to get saved, we're believing for breakthrough in an area, and we think, God, you've forgotten me, nothing's happening, I physically can't see it. And he's like, there's a spiritual realm here that you're not seeing, and you're saying that nothing's happening, but you're not seeing what I'm doing behind the scenes. So God is always moving. God is always working, and it's a process, and he's teaching us something in the process, um, but we have to learn to be patient. patient. And it can be difficult to do, but we have to trust God to sort it out. So what Abraham didn't do <laughs> is trust God that, and he had an Ishmael. So my next point, which I think is number eight, nine. I want it to be nine because it would be really good if it's nine. Let's skip one. It's nine. It's don't have an Ishmael. So what happened in the story in Genesis 16, if you remember, is that because Abraham and Sarah were not having children and God had promised it and it was taking ages, um, Abraham decided to have his own little fling with Hagar, his, their kind of maidservant, and a baby called Ishmael was born or was named Ishmael. And it was premature to what God had actually said. It wasn't the baby that God had promised them. He went and tried to fix this himself and had an Ishmael. Um, and it caused all sorts of problems with Sarah and the maidservant and basically had to leave and, and was off in the desert where God met her and it was horrible and it was all, it was all yuck. Um, but basically, he tried to do something that God was, was going to do and he, rather than waiting, he tried to, to intervene. Um, And God is not required to bless what I birth out of my own flesh. He's only promised to bless what he has promised in his spirit. So if I start doing stuff in my own flesh, I can't necessarily expect God to bless it. Ishmael wasn't God's plan. But if God said something that he is going to do, then he will bless it and he will bring it to fruition. If we try and interject, (laughs) we can't expect God to bless what he didn't, what is birthed in our flesh, not birthed in the spirit. 
The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. So we've got to be careful not to try and do too much in our own strength and actually let God build what he said he's going to build and not try and interject. I know waiting patiently for stuff can be very frustrating, but <laughs> um, God won't necessarily bless what is birthed of us. He'll only bless what he's promised in the spirit. Amen? Okay, last one. Well, it's the last one on my notes, so it's going to have to be the Yay! Okay, so the last one, lesson number 10 from Genesis is to not give up. Never give up. Um, so the Bible, in, the, in Genesis, it moves on in Genesis 32 to talk about Jacob. And Jacob, um, in the story in, in 32, is, wrestles with God. You might remember the story where he wrestles with God all night, and it's such a rigorous encounter with God that his hip gets put out of joint and he always walks with a limp after that. Um, the story of Jacob before that is he got jealous of his brother Esau and actually deceived his, his dad and, and stole his brother's birthright. Did this whole fake thing when his dad was dying and put, then he put like fur on his arm to pretend to be his brother Esau who was hairy. Anyway, he just basically lied and he stole his brother's birthright. So he did something really, really bad. But he never stopped pursuing God and wanting God's blessing and encountering God, even though he made mistakes. And in Genesis 32, we have this encounter where he wrestles with God, and he presses in, despite his flaws, despite what he's done wrong, he presses into God, and an angel meets him, and just has this incredible encounter with him. And he was determined to receive God's blessing, and determined to encounter God, even though he knew he had messed up and done something wrong. He still believed that God would bless him, and he still chased after him. I think sometimes when we mess up, our, 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 our response is often to pull back. And we hide from God, and, and, and actually God met him in that encounter because he could see that his heart was still for God. He just made a mistake. Um, so if we have faith to, with God and want to obey him, God will always meet us, and he will work wonders in us, even in our weakness. He will bless us and encounter us and literally move over our lives so that we experience such closeness to him. But it's having that heart of constantly coming back to God, even when we mess up and saying, I still want you to bless me. I still want you. We never should stop letting God work in us and through us. It should always be a journey of, even if I get it wrong, God, I want you. And I'm going to hold on to you with every single thing I can. Jacob literally held on. I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. I don't think we're that tenacious with God anymore. I don't think many of us really are like that, where we're literally, <laughs> I am not. If I've got to stay up all night on my knees, I'm going to keep here until you break out, until you do something, until I hear your voice, until you bless me. God responded to Jacob, even though he'd messed up and lied about his brother and stole his birthright. God responded to that heart of, I will not move from this position, God, until I encounter you. And it's those people that get face to face with God. And so that's what Jacob's heart was in it, later in the story. And that's it.